0: Good morning and Christian greetings to each of you. We are toward the beginning of the year. I mean, we're a couple of weeks in, but um, but we're in, in the first month of a new year. And there were a lot of changes in 2021. Um, I won't even pretend or I won't even attempt to change and mention some of those changes or enumerate those. But going into 2021... I believe that most of us were hopeful that the pandemic would soon be in the rearview mirror. And here we are, a year later, and two variants later, and we're still wondering. And uh, we don't know what the future holds. This morning, I'm going to deviate once again from the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, rather than continuing on to chapter 14, I'm, I want to share something else that I feel compelled to share and it's something I have been thinking about quite a bit over the last couple of months. And, but maybe rather than thinking about it as deviating from my series out of 1 Corinthians, maybe it's a, another way of saying it is that we're, I'm stepping back and we're taking a, the look, a look at what uh, Paul's teachings in 1 Corinthians are just from a slightly different angle. Briefly, thinking about what the letter to 1 Corinthians is about, it's teaching them and us on right thinking and behaving within the context of the church. Unity is a theme that you see throughout the letter. There's the emphasis on the value of, of differing perspectives, different races, Jews and Gentiles worshiping together, wealthy landowners and poor slaves worshiping together. And then there's the the reminder in in chapter 11 about communion and the correction that Paul issued there, what the church had devolved into, in that it wasn't a shared meal among believers, but rather an extravagant feast for the wealthy and excluding those that they considered inferior. And then in 12 and 13, the important that each member has and the giftedness that they bring to the overall health of the church, and then the supremacy of agape love in every aspect of people relating to each other, especially within the body of Christ. We have been through an emotional December um, with several deaths and lots of sickness. and In the midst of that, we celebrated the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Next Sunday, we plan to share communion. Feet washing, time of remembering what Christ did for us, reflecting on and examining our own lives, renewing our commitment to each mm-hmm. other, etc. And in all of this, the importance of church and who we are, us as a local body, is just crucial. In as we think about this, now there's no secret that since the pandemic struck in March of 2020, that it has had a significant impact on the church. I'm talking about this congregation, but I'm talking also about every congregation that I know of, the church as a whole. Every U.S. pastor, I believe, that I have spoken to and reflected on the past couple of years references the divisiveness, the tensions, the strong opinions, the impossibility of navigating decisions needing to be made without offending a significant percentage of the uh, the congregation. Um, What's interesting, I also spoke to some pastors from other countries, and these indicated that their congregations were far less divided, in spite of even greater restrictions being placed on them. Um, It's just interesting to think about that. I'm going to make several strong statements here that may be deemed provocative or offensive to some. It's not my intention to to do that, but I believe that uh, my assessment of what has transpired in many U.S. churches today over the last two years, I'm going to make two very broad generalizations. and When I say that, I don't mean necessarily just this church, I mean everywhere. Number one, most Christians in America are extremely individualistic and self-centered. They care more about themselves than those around them, including their brothers and sisters in the church. The second statement, most Anabaptist believers hold to a distorted view of the kingdom of God that is far more nationalistic and political than biblical. And I'm not going to be dwelling on those, but those are just a few of my observations. But what I find interesting is that both of these generalizations surfaced over the last 22 months, but it was simply revealing what was already there. It was not something new that came out. It was. It was always there, but others just simply didn't know about it. And now it has come out in the open. In making these broad statements, I include myself in this. I, um, that I was shocked at some of the unbiblical and unChrist-like reactions and responses and emotions that I felt at different times over the last two years that I had to confess as sin. And to me, this reveals an incomplete understanding and appreciation of who Jesus is and his church, uh, and his body, the church. And I be- also believe that God has been using the pandemic to challenge believers in what, we, in what and in whom we truly put our trust. It has been a refining fire for many churches as well as believers. This morning, I am going to focus on the church, the importance and the incredible value of the local church, and each and every member and what they bring. Um, I've entitled this morning's message, Rediscovering Church. What If you were asked a question, and I'm not going to ask you to answer here publicly, but what would you say if somebody asked you, what is church? A very simple question, what is church? How would you answer that? And then along with that, would you answer it differently today than you did two years ago? Has the last two years changed your perception of this? Over the years, I've asked this question to many individuals including pastors, and oftentimes the answers have been quite disappointing. Um, Many don't know how to answer this question. I'm ashamed to admit it, but I would not have been able to give a good answer to this question the first ten years of my ministry. I had failed to care enough to even give it careful consideration. I was more interested in leadership and management techniques, efficiencies, and just a general secular approaches to organizational leadership than I was really about the church. And in a lot of ways, I think underlying is I viewed the church as another organization. About nine years into my ministry, the Holy Spirit convicted me and aroused a curiosity about the church that I previously really never considered. And over the course of a year or two, that curiosity gradually became an interest and a fascination for me. And today I would say I would consider it a motivating passion. The church is amazing. Jesus came to earth, died, and was resurrected for our salvation. And the church was formally established on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came. Jesus entrusted the future of the church, his body, to his disciples to represent the kingdom of God to the world. The church is so much more than any organization. It is a living organism. It is the very body of Christ. 2,000 years later the church continues, that was that which was established by Jesus Christ with the promise that Satan will never prevail against it. Jesus speaking in Matthew 16, and I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Today we continue to carry that legacy and pass it along to others as we disciple others and continue that's going to continue into future generations beyond our lifetimes the church past present and future is the current or present reality of the kingdom of god on this earth today we are the kingdom of god to those that we see that who see us and that we interact with, each other as well as other believers and unbelievers. The church, when you just stop and consider, is the most wonderful, mysterious, and yet tangible display of Jesus Christ to the watching world. I have spent countless hours the last 22 months pondering the implications of the pandemic pandemic, on the church. How does a church body navigate the pressures, demands, mandates, and health risks in godly ways, even as those demands change from week to week? And in the midst of that all all of that, my constant prayer has been that unity prevails and that fragmentation is minimized or eliminated. Satan is so opportunistic, and he has done everything in his power to cause disruption disarray disarray discontent and so forth within the church but at all points my primary concern was at the impact on the what the impact of the would be on the body as a whole late this past summer i received an electronic copy of a book that was being released this fall and it's, it was entitled Rediscover Church, and it was written by Colin Hansen and Jonathan Lehman, and I I have a copy of that here this morning. This book resonated with me in so many ways. I was encouraged, I was challenged, and I was convicted. It is written in the context of of the local church within the world of COVID-19 about a year and a half in. So, I mean, as of this past summer, it really is in that context. And I'm going to be referencing this book several times um, throughout the morning here. And certainly not the basis for this, but at the same time, it sparked or put some substance around some of the things that it really had been uh, thinking about and considering. In this book, uh, Hansen and Lehman state this. American political leaders have long referred to America as a city on a hill, yet part of rediscovering church is rediscovering that our churches should be those cities on the hill, whether we live in the United States or any other nation. The church is truly the city on a hill. It's not the United States. And then uh, continuing on in um, another part here, here's a quote as well. Yet remarkably, amazingly, astoundingly, your church, the one we want you to rediscover, is the place where the Bible says heaven has begun to descend to earth. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, here. God's will is done on earth as it is done in heaven, here and now. We store up treasures of heaven, here. We bind and loose on earth what's bound and loosed in heaven, here. And we're a heavenly temple. All of these things point to the beauty of, and the power and the mystery of what the church is. Continuing, they, uh, they say, heaven touches down on planet earth through our gathered churches. And when this happens, you offer the citizens of your nation, kingdom of God, the hope of a better nation. Well, actually, the citizens of the nation we live in, the hope of a better nation, the residents of your city, the hope of a better and lasting city. Thinking about a definition for the church, and they they give a definition in the church, and it really is the outline of the entire book. Um, they do it in a way where one thing leads to another. And just to quickly define the church the way that they do in this book, I'm just gonna quickly go through here. The church is a group of Christians who assemble as an earthly embassy of Christ's heavenly kingdom to proclaim the good news and commands of Christ the King, to affirm one another as his citizens through the ordinances, and to display his own holiness and love through a unified and diverse people in all the world, following the teaching and example of the elders. And that is a, you might call of that a long run-on sentence in a lot of ways, but there's a lot packed into that, and that is the the essence of what this book is about in in thinking about the local church and the value of that local church. Think about just a couple of aspects, not necessarily of those points, but just a couple of aspects of church here together this morning. The church is both supernatural and imperfect. And I'm going to just uh, elaborate on that a bit. Ephesians uses the word mystery a couple of times to characterize the church, not in the sense that something is not known or is not knowable, but rather more in the context of revealing what had previously been unknown. And we see this first in Ephesians 1, verses 7 to 10. In him we have redemption through his blood. Uh, in him being Jesus, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And Really, he mentions the mystery of his will, but the rest of the verses there really complete the thought of what he means by what is the mystery of his will in chapter 5 then in ephesians and I'm kind of be jumping around here a little bit we have this beautiful and profound parallel between marriage and Christ and the church and one of the reasons marriage was instituted in the garden of eden between adam and eve was to give us a picture of Christ and the church. And the responsibilities of the husband, uh, for sure, being a husband, and the wife, described in Ephesians 5, are magnified when we realize that our marriages are to be a picture of how Christ and the church relate to each other. And that's to be a picture for our society. What also is just so, uh, I mean, it just reaffirms then as well the holy sanctity of marriage between a man and a woman when you understand that this is the reason marriage was even put in place back in the Garden of Eden. I'm going to read um, familiar verses from Ephesians 5 now, but focus on what it's not so much what it's saying about husbands and wives, but what it says about the church in the middle of this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So here again, we see the mystery, and he elaborates on this here. Giving greater clarity. The mystery is profound, but he's referring to Christ and the church. These passages, yes, they're about marriage, but really when you dig into it, I believe it's just as much, maybe more about the church uh, and how what that really is. Several things that I that are unique about the church that I just want from from any other entity on the face of the earth. First of all, the church is supernatural. Secondly, it is a living organism divinely designed and created by God for a purpose. And it is the body of Jesus Christ on this earth. Another quote from rediscovered Church, We're talking about the plans and purposes of God, because your church is much more than meets the eye. It is, in fact, the apple of God's eye. The body for which Jesus Christ gave his body, it's essential. The body, we are the body of Christ. We are a supernatural, living organism... That is the body of Christ here on this earth. And Jesus and God is the architect of this and, and its members. Just, I'm just going to read several verses here and there. Uh, as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Ephesians 5, again, we just read this. No one has hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And then in Romans 12, for as one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Our church, the church with which, in which we are members, is the very body of Christ. And, and I have said that before, but it, to me, the more I think about it, the more um, fascinating or the more profound it becomes. I'm sorry. Um, another quote, uh, jumping ahead here, um, another quote from Rediscovered Church. Your church is where Christ says he is present in a unique way. We would even dare to say that your church and ours is where heaven touches down on earth, where our prayers begin to be answered. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so this is a supernatural and spiritual reality that is both fascinating, mind-boggling, as well as sobering. And then I also remind myself frequently that the church is not perfect. Given the reality that each one of us, including myself, is a human living in a sinful world, we make mistakes, we sin, we repent, we forgive others, we make corrections, at the same time, Jesus Christ is perfecting his body, the church, this church, and in ways that we may not even completely understand or even always appreciate. But again, going back to Ephesians 5, look what he says here. As Christ loved the church, he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water and with a word, so that he might present the church to himself in all splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus declares he will present the church to himself without spot or wrinkle, declaring that his body is holy and without blemish. This is done through the process of sanctification, the cleansing of the church, by the washing with the word. I can't comprehend it or describe what this all entails, but we can be confident of this, that if we allow Jesus Christ to be the head of our church, this is happening. And so in Christ, our church can be declared without spot or wrinkle, perfect and holy. Even though we know, we see all the imperfections, yet in Christ, it can be declared without spot or wrinkle, perfect and holy. One of the questions and challenges that came to me out of the last 22 months was the question of the necessity of physically meeting, physically gathering. Unlike any prior time in history, technology allowed us the option to conduct services remotely or online rather than meeting in person. In fact, there are some that are joining us this morning that way. Um, And so this was unique in that no other time in history was that even really an option. And I'm grateful we were able to do so in the spring of 2020 when gatherings of this size were prohibited. It was also enabled us to meet remotely rather than canceling a service due to snow. Or if there's a widespread sickness. Ironically, I was planning to preach this sermon the first Sunday of December, which was the Sunday that we met remotely. Because I was exposed to COVID the day before and there was widespread sickness. Um, You know, on the surface, meeting remotely might seem like a good and convenient alternative to gathering in person in an ongoing way, but I would strongly disagree with that. Um, in certain situations, due to health or physical limitations, occasionally, yes. As a convenience option, no. This, there is not a substitute for meeting in person. As stated in this book, gatherings change lives, change cultures, change the world. They are powerful. Consider just various gatherings of people over the last two years. Something happens, good or bad, when a group of people gather for a common cause. Think of sporting events. It is not the same if you are not there. Political rallies That's really the whole thing is energizing the crowd and the people. And uh, Again, you don't share in the experience unless you are there. I thought about the George Floyd protests in Minneapolis. The storming of the U.S. Capitol just over a year ago. I suspect many present in D.C. on that day did not premeditate their actions. Rather, the energy and the power of the crowd compelled them to act in ways that they likely would not have done alone. That's also how many riots begin, a gathering of people that then somehow is incited to violence. Again, several quotes from from this book. Like a political protest, the church gathering shapes a people. It shapes each one of us as individuals and shapes us collectively into a culture, a force, or a movement. It fashions us as a city of God. And like a protest, the gathering offers a visible testimony for the whole world to see. It tells the world we are citizens of heaven. And then um, another perhaps the clearest proof of god's desire to gather with his people is the incarnation the son of god took on a body the one who was god and who was with the god and was god put on flesh so that he could be with us and he promised to build his church a word that translated literally means assembly And now just another one that I want to share with you here. Jesus organized Christianity this way. It means to center our Christianity around regularly gathering together, seeing one another, learning from one another, encouraging and correcting one another, and loving one another. Spiritual things happen when Christians stand elbow to elbow breathe the same air, join our voices in song, hear the same sermon, and partake of the one bread. You look around and think, I'm not alone in this faith. What might we do together? And obviously a verse or some verses that really go right along with this is out of Hebrews 10. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day of drawing near. For we go on sinning deliberately after we're receiving the knowledge of the truth. There is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. <clears throat> Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book um, that I would also highly recommend. Uh, it's called Life Together. It makes several statements about the church and community. First of all, he says, church community is not an ideal, but it is a divine reality. It's not, is a spiritual and not a re- emotional reality. So there's a, a divine and spiritual component to this. It's not something emotional. And then he continues, um, Christian, this is far from, Uh, comprehensive, but it's a summary of some of his thoughts. Christian community is not an ideal that we have to realize, but rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. The more clearly we learn to recognize that the ground and strength and promise of all our community is in Jesus Christ alone, the more calmly we will learn to think about our community and pray and hope for it. We don't create community, we simply participate in what Christ has done. Again, I'm going to share a few quotes from Rediscover Church. God does not invite us to church because it's a comfortable place to find a bit of spiritual encouragement. No, he invites us into a spiritual family of misfits and outcasts. He welcomes us into a home that's rarely what we want and yet just what we need. Our assembled local churches represent God's presence with man. Where heaven comes to earth, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. This doesn't happen on the internet or in our heads. It happens when you come together as a church, to borrow a phrase from Paul, a phrase that suggests. There's a sense in which a church is not a church until it comes together. And then um, just this simple sentence regularly assembling or gathering makes a church a church. Every believer, actually, I'm going to, um, yeah, every believer has a gift, not for their own personal benefit or gain, but to build up the church, his body. And most of the time, These gifts will bless others in the course of personal interaction when we're together physically. And uh, I'm not going to read each of these, but uh, we have been given gifts to serve and to uh, build up each other. Gathering as a church is so much more than an emotional or social interaction. It is where God meets his people... It's where Jesus joins his body to strengthen, encourage, learn, and bless others. Supernatural things happen when a local church of committed believers join together in song, in prayer, and in worship. Thinking about this now, God put us together now. He put us together here, now and gathered churches are the embassies of heaven. An embassy is an officially sanctioned outpost of one nation inside the borders of another nation. It represents and speaks for that foreign nation. What's a gathered church? It is an embassy of heaven. Step inside your church and what will you fi- should you find? A whole different nation, sojourners, exiles, citizens in Christ's kingdom. So we are an embassy outpost of the kingdom of God. We are citizens of another nation and kingdom, and each of us are ambassadors for King Jesus, and this gathering today represents our king to the world, the king of kings. God has put in each of us to give God has put each of us together in this church now very intentionally. None of us are here by accident. The king has coordinated all of this. We're here for a reason. God has a purpose for each of us, and I'm grateful for each and every one that's here. King Jesus is leading this embassy to best represent his kingdom and accomplish his goals. Within the last month, our king... Called two long-term time ambassadors to our home country. He reassigned them. And we are it's a reminder that we're not in our home country, but that we're simply serving in this outpost until he reassigns us. In the meantime, we continue to gather regularly, we continue our assignments. We persevere, we encourage, we love, we teach, we admonish, we press on. In the coming months, we plan to call an additional brother to from this congregation to serve in leadership. And that is another aspect of being a church. One of the unique challenges of this embassy outpost is how geographically spread out we are. We gather here in Catlett, a number traveling from up to an hour from multiple directions, and I sometimes wonder what God is doing with all of that. But rediscovering church and its implications at this embassy outpost is something our king will continue to reveal as we're faithful in gathering and representing his kingdom. many ways, I just scratched the surface about the church here this morning. At a minimum, I trust that you have a greater appreciation for the church, but I also hope that you will be challenged to continue to ponder what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. Also, I have a copy of this book I want to give to each couple and each single here this morning. Take it. Read it. Read it as a couple. Read it as a family. Discuss it. Like I said, I have been challenged, you will be challenged, you will be encouraged, but I believe you will also be convicted. My only request is that you make it a priority to read it. It can be read in two or three hours and it's a timely message for each one of us. The church is the present reality of the kingdom of God on this earth today. It is supernatural. It is imperfect, but being perfected. It is life in community and not an individualistic endeavor. And God has put us here and now for a specific purpose. We are the body of Christ. We are an embassy outpost post in Catlet for the kingdom of God. And together... Let's join King Jesus in his kingdom work here and now. I'm going to um, have a, let's stand together and sing number 380. I love that kingdom Lord. Darren will lead that.